0: We're in the book of Ephesians uh, for this series, we're looking, we call it Foundations, and uh, today we're looking at the theme of being holy and blameless. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm going to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Not bad stuff. In fact, very good stuff. And we're going to explore a, a tiny portion of this uh, this morning. But I wanted to start with a quote from someone called Watchman Nee who wrote this, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. (sighs) Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is a great big done. That is what Paul has written about. That's what he's described here, is a great big done. And that's where we start. That's where our identity is in what God has done. And so we read there in verse 4 that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And it, we have to ask the question why did He choose us? What was the purpose of Him choosing us? Was it that we're called chosen to be children of God, to be sons and daughters, to be adopted? into his family? Is it that we're chosen to be free from sin, or to be co-heirs with Christ, or to have eternal life? All of those things are good. All of those things are true. But they're not the first thing that Paul thinks of. We're chosen in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. That's the first thing. He lists. I find that a surprise. Chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. We're chosen to be holy and blameless. And that immediately then begs the question of what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? And for us to define that, we've got to start with God. Because holiness, firstly, is about God's character. So the answer to that first question you were pondering in the break is holy. That is an adjective used to preface God's name more times than any other word in the Old Testament added together. How many times have you read the phrase, a holy one of Israel? Or read, I mean we had it, Tom read it to us earlier, um, Isaiah's famous vision. From Isaiah chapter 6, with the seraphs flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hundreds of times I must have read that God is holy in my life. But when has it ever impacted me? When have I ever really stopped to think, what does that actually mean? God's described elsewhere through scripture as various things, like a shepherd or a king, or a rock, or shelter, or father, or tower. And to some extent, I think it's easier to relate to a lot of those images of God than it is to the fact that he's holy. It kind of feels to me, holy, a bit abstract. Difficult to pin down. It's a bit like trying to describe yellow. If you're comfortable, turn to the person next to you and describe yellow (laughs) to (laughs) them. So, uh, you've obviously got a lot to say about yellow. <laughs> Look at the stars, see how they shine for you, and they were all yellow. <laughs> now, me, there's a whole soul for us there. But it's, have you actually described yellow, or, or have you pointed to things that maybe are a little bit yellow and said, that, well, that's kind of what, it's kind of a bit difficult to pin down. God being holy means that He's set apart. He is flawless. He's perfect. There's no faulting, no blemish, no shadow, no blip, no error. He is absolute perfection. In that wonderful, wonderful song of deliverance that Miriam sings to the people of Israel after they've just come through the Red Sea on the, their way out of Egypt. She sings this, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you've guided them to your holy habitation. Majestic in holiness. And interesting that it's linked to how God acts when he saves and he redeems his people. Majestic in holiness when he saves his people. Derek Pidball writes this, that holiness has to do with God's altogether different nature, his transcendent separateness, his exalted majesty, his awesome power, his absolute purity, his immeasurable brightness, his unfathomable glory, and also his redeeming salvation. It is shorthand for the excellence of his perfection. Notice how when people talk about holiness, their other language gets exalted with it. It needs a kind of different level of language to describe how incredible the holiness of God is. God being holy is a summary of his essential character. You are beautiful beyond description. And I stand, I stand in awe of you, Holy God, the one to whom all praise is due. So God is holy. Holiness is his character. And back before the foundation of the world, this holy God chose for himself a holy people. That's what we read in Ephesians. So if holiness is about God's character, holiness is also about God's people. Read this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and verse 6. It says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That was the calling that he placed on them, a holy people to be his own possession. And in uh, Exodus chapter 19, so just before, note that, we'll come back to this later, just before he gives out the Ten Commandments, he writes this, or he says this, actually. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to my son. Now then if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be here it is my own possession among the peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation kingdom of priests and a holy nation God's selection of the Israelites was primarily to demonstrate himself to the world through his people. That's what he did. He took this people, and he called them his treasured possessions, and he appointed them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He could have chosen them to be a powerful army, or an advanced civilization, or a global superpower, or in fact anything that he wanted them to be. But he chose them to be holy and blameless kingdom of priests, a holy nation, his treasured possession. Because by choosing them to be holy and blameless, it would reveal what God is like to everyone else. So if holiness is firstly about God and his character, and secondly about the people he chooses, then thirdly holiness must be about you and me. It must be. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians. And that statement is true for every single person in the people of God. These truths are true for us as individual children of God, as well as for God's big family and his chosen people and nation. Why? This goes back to what we heard last week when Rob so outlined being in Christ. If we're in Christ, then all that applies to Christ applies to us. Each of us, every single one of us, inherit everything that there is in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. But not only that, we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That means we were chosen when we were unholy and blameworthy. That is grace. There's nothing that you did that got you on the list. Nothing. Nothing that I did to get me on the list. It was done before the foundation of the world. So what then does it actually mean, day to day, to be holy and blameless? Well, they're kind of two sides of the same coin, is how I like to think about them. So on the one side is being holy, which is like an inner purity. It's reflecting God's character, how God looks. It's a positive thing, you look like God. Bridges describes it as nothing less than conformity to the character of God. And Tidbull again, describes it as being becoming increasingly God-centered, Christ-like, and spirit-empowered. So being holy is this inner purity. Being blameless is an outer purity. There's a slight negative emphasis because it's a, a lack of blame. It's an absence of impurity. There's no blame or anything attached to us anymore. We're blameless, faultless. and So being holy and blameless is reflecting the character of God on the inside. And on the outside. Nothing sticks to us. And our hearts are pure before Him. And that is who we are. We keep going back to these statements, don't we? But who we are is we're God's chosen people and declared to be holy and blameless. That's what we are. So, what then have we got as a result of that? Well, I think the key thing that we've got is access. Access. I'd like you, you know that post-it note you've been carefully looking after? I'd like you now to stick it to your head. No reason, I just wanted to make you all look silly. No, I'm No, it's an illustration, so stick it to your head. Lovely. If only I had my camera. <laughs> okay, so what's this about? Well, we need to go back to the temple. So, The temple had various different sections. And as you moved from the outside to the inside, the areas, the different sections of the temple, became increasingly exclusive. So around the outside you had the court of the Gentiles, where anyone could go, anyone who feared God could go into the court of the Gentiles. Then there was the court of the women, so Jewish women were allowed in that bit. Inside that was the inner court, which was open to Jewish men. Inside that was the holy place where the priests were allowed. Now, they were all Jewish men of a particular tribe, so more exclusive. And then right in the side of that was the most holy place, the Holy of holies. And in there, only the high priest was allowed to go, and only once one single. And in Exodus 28, we read of the clothing that the high priest wore. And on his turban was a post-it. No, it was a plate <laughs> of pure gold. And engraved on that was holy to the Lord. When he put that on, he was allowed into the most holy place. Because he was designated as being holy to the Lord. He was allowed in. Allowed into the very presence of God. And the Bible calls this a justification. It was a designation, a legal declaration that he was righteous to come in. If you wish to take your post off. But this declaration over us, this, this justification, this statement over us that we're declared righteous, that means we've been put right with him. And so we have access. And we don't need the plate because we're in Christ. And in Christ, we're righteous. Just stop and ponder on that a minute. This is nothing new, sure. Everyone in the room has heard this kind of thing before. But because we're in Christ, because God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, we get to walk into the very presence of God any time of the day or night. No restrictions, no rules, no special occasions, no qualifications. Because we're justified because we're declared righteous, because we are holy and blameless in him. As a kingdom of priests, we have access to the presence of God at all times. Didn't we experience that this morning, the presence of God amongst us? We got to do that because we're part of a kingdom of priests. We got to do that because we're in Christ. We've got the poster. We can come right in. So one of the things that we've got as a result of being holy and blameless is we have access. But we also have freedom. We're chosen so that we could be free from sin. It's holy and blameless. There's nothing sticking to us anymore. And we're free to be that We're free from legalism. We're free to love God. We're free to worship. We're free to serve. There's a freedom for us now to be the people we, we were created to be. Free to fulfill the plans that God has for us. Freedom to enjoy our adoption as his children. You're holy and blameless. You've got access and you've got freedom. That's what it means to be holy and blameless to be declared righteous, to be justified. This may have sounded quite passive so far. God takes all the initiative, we've got access because of Jesus, we've got freedom because of Jesus, God chose us. Before we were aware of it, in fact, before the foundation of the world. Yes, absolutely. Remember that watchman and quote? Christianity starts not with a great big do, but with a great big dot. Gotta understand that. So if we're chosen before in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, that's what we are. And access to God and freedom to fulfill our destiny is what we have. So what are we called to do? Because there must be a something to do. And there is. There is a to-do that we need to do. And the first thing we need to do is we need to imitate Him. One Peter is very helpful on this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16 say this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behaviour. Because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Peter there is writing in the first century AD and he's quoting an ancient commandment. Right out of Leviticus chapter 11, saying, be holy as I am holy. That's what God said to the people of Israel. I find it interesting that that command in Leviticus is given after the rescue. After they've been pulled out of slavery. After they've been appointed as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and God's treasure possession. Then comes the response after his gracious acts of salvation. They were called, they were chosen, they were rescued, they were redeemed, and then they were commanded to be holy. They were commanded to live up to what they were called to. And our response is the same. Our response to his choosing, his salvation, his justification, is to respond in faith, to receive his grace and imitate him. Be holy Zion. That's our response to his grace. And so it's a, it feels slightly like we're saying the same things in lots of different ways because being holy and blameless is what we're chosen for. Being holy and blameless is what we're declared to be in the light of Jesus. And being holy and blameless is now what we're to do. It's because we're flawed people. Because we're not yet perfect. That even though we're declared righteous, even though we're chosen to be holy and blameless, we still mess up and we still sin. And so we have to deal with that sin. That's the part of the imitation of God, is that we deal with sin. God has dealt with it. He's broken the power of it. So we're free to not sin. But we still have to be actively ruthless with any sin in our lives. We're told to lay aside the sin that's so easily intended. We're to put to death those things, the sin, those things which ensnare us. We're to flee youthful lusts. We're to set aside the pleasures of the world. All these things are talked about in the New Testament. Because we have to take sin seriously and deal with it in our lives, put it to death in our lives. And this is an ongoing process. It's called sanctification, where we're constantly becoming increasingly like Jesus, growing in holiness, looking more and more like him. And so we're justified. It's one of our foundations. We're justified. We're declared righteous. And we receive that blessing by faith through grace. It's a one-off declaration. Legal status now changed for those who are in Christ. But growing in obedience and holiness, this process of sanctification, takes time. But we have the power to do it because sin has no hold over us. Obedience and holiness is costly. It's a costly way of life, being holy and blameless. Maybe a picture will help to illustrate this. So, the context of the letter of Ephesians is the backstory in Acts chapter 19, where Paul visited the city of Ephesus and he met a group of people who hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit, so he introduced them to the Holy Spirit. He uh, then taught them, or taught the people in the synagogue for a few months, and then the Hall of Tyrannus for a couple of years. Incredible stories there. I'd encourage you to read it, because it helps set the scene for the whole book of Ephesians. But these people then have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blessed. That's their status. And their response is this, Acts chapter 19, verse 17. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 drachmas or pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. 50,000 drachmas. The drachma was about a day's wage. So on our national, current national minimum wage, 50,000 days wages is around about 3.3 million pounds. There's a cost to being holy and blameless. These people who were saved in Ephesus thought that being saved, being holy and blameless, was worth the cost of 3.3 million pounds. Now there will be a cost for us. It may not be financial, it may be. When I was a teenager, I had a friend who got saved as. When yeah, when we were teenagers in secondary school, and he felt it was right to destroy a whole load of videos that he had videos, videos um, that just weren't appropriate for him to have in his house, that cost him a lot of pocket money. So there, sometimes there will be a financial cost, but it may cost other things. It may cost relationships. It may cost credibility in the eyes of other people. It may be that. Behaviors, things we enjoy doing, need to stop. Behaviors like greed or gossip or jealousy or adultery. There is a cost to holiness and blamelessness. But the rewards are immense. And ultimately, of course, it was Christ who paid the cost. So remember, this starts for us with a with a great big dog. But there is a doom that follows in response. And this isn't just an individual or a personal thing, although it's probably easiest to challenge ourselves about it, but we're part of a people. And so alongside each of us imitating God and being ruthless with sin, stepping into our identity of being holy and blameless and our calling to be that, we remember that God chose his people originally to be. His treasured possession, this kingdom of priests, this holy nation. And we've got the same calling. So back to 1 Peter again. And in chapter 2, he writes this But you are a chosen race. This is to Christians post Jesus. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are to demonstrate God to a watching world. That's the calling of God's people. We are to declare his excellencies. And there will be people that each of us meets this week who need to see a demonstration of God. What is God? Who is God? He's holy and blameless So we can demonstrate that by the power in us. We're a living demonstration of the gospel to those around us.